There are three common questions in my household. I'm sure you've heard them or thought them or said them as well. Where are we going? Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? These common run-of-the-mill questions are simple questions and they are good questions. They're pregnant with so much more meaning than meets the eye and the ear. Because they're directional questions. They are hope-filled questions. They are destination-oriented questions. They imply that we are going somewhere, that we're on a journey, and they assume waiting. They assume patience and perseverance. But what if we're talking about the Christian life? What does it look like to wait well? What does it look like to live in the tension of being both preserved by Christ and still persevere until the day we see Christ face to face in glory? Well, please open your Bible to Jude. If you go all the way to the end of the New Testament to Revelation and you hang a left, you'll arrive safely at the small one-page letter of Jude. It's on page 964 in the Pew Bible, the, the Bible that's underneath the chair in front of you. We're going to be diving into verses 17 to 25 this morning as we look at the second half of the letter. I'll be reading out of the ESV translation. Please stand for the reading of God's word. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is God's word. He is worthy to be praised. Let's say that together. He is worthy to be praised. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. Spirit, we ask that you would turn the lights on in our hearts and our minds this morning. May we not simply be informed by your word, but may we be transformed by it. 
cause us to behold afresh the risen Christ this morning. And Lord, strengthen your weak servant. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in the name of Christ that we pray, amen. Well, before we work through the second half of Jude's letter this morning, I want to catch us up on the first 16 verses. You can go into the sermon archive on the website and hear that sermon from last month. But in the first half of the letter, we found that the church is kept for Christ as those who are called, beloved in God the Father. That's what we see in verses 1 through 2. Then in verses 3 through 4, we found that the church is kept to contend for the faith. The church is to strive, to struggle, to give every effort to fight for the gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected. And who is the church to contend against? Those who have crept into the church to pervert the gospel and use and abuse God's grace as a license to sin. Jude, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, commands the church to contend against these who have ultimately thrown off the authority of Christ and made themselves king. And then in verses 6 through 16, Jude took us into a divine courtroom where we saw that that God was the judge, Jude is the lawyer, and these grace and gospel perverting intruders are on trial. And Jude brings witness after witness after witness from the Old Testament, displaying the truth that these men and women have been kept for judgment. Well, then we arrive at verse 17 this morning with two very simple and beautiful words. But you. And Jude transitions us into the second part of his letter. And that's what we're going to be unpacking this morning. So if you're taking notes, here's the big idea of verses 17 through 25. The church is kept for unity, kept to persevere, and kept for glory. So take heart and fix your eyes on Jesus. The church is kept for unity, kept to persevere, and kept for glory. So take heart and fix your eyes on Jesus. Our outline breaks out into the church is kept for unity, verses 17 through 19. Kept to persevere, 20 through 23. And kept for glory, 24 through 25. Because of this, we can take heart and fix our eyes on Jesus. So point one, kept for unity. Verses 17 through 19, look there with me once again. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Well, music is an evidence of God's kindness, is it not? It's a gift from God. 
And if you're a musician or enjoy listening to music, then you have more than likely over the years developed an ear for what sounds good, for what sounds right. What an on-key pitch is versus an off-key pitch and how notes fit together to make a unified medley. But as our ears learn what sounds good and right and on-key, we also develop an ear for what sounds bad, what sounds off-key, off-pitch. And I want us to grab a hold of this. Jude is teaching us in this letter how to hear what is good and right versus what is bad and dissonant. Jude is telling us what to listen for, what to watch for in the life and doctrine of the church. He is telling us to make sure that we have the truth, know the truth, and can discern truth from error. And he calls the church to remember the melodic line of scripture, the predictions, the teaching of Christ and the apostles. That in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. New Testament Christians understood themselves to be living in the end times, in the already and the not yet, in that space between Christ's ascension and his return. And they anticipated false teachers coming and praying upon them. And so Judas calling the church to remember Jesus' words, his warning found in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. He is calling them to remember Paul's words of Acts 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among yourselves will arise men and women speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. He is calling the church to be on the lookout for gospel scoffers teaching a gospel of the flesh. And are we not in those times now? False teaching about who God is and what the gospel is is often playing like an off-key note in the church. It's being played in pulpits throughout a very region this morning, throughout America and throughout the whole world. Just flip on TBN and you can watch it all day. Go look at the majority in the top 20 Christian books and you can see it, you can read it. False teaching, both new and old, is everywhere. And it's being trumpeted by those who Jude calls in these verses, 18 through 19, men and women who scoff who follow their own ungodly passions, who are causing divisions, who are worldly and don't have the spirit. Jude is saying, do you want to know what a false teacher sounds like and looks like? Do you want to know what a follower of false teaching looks like and sounds like? Look for these things. Listen for these sounds. And Jude is pleading with the church to remember that these people have come and will continue to come. And he is pleading with us to remember the word and to remember that not all that is new is improved. Jude is pleading with the church to look to the historical Christ, the one who is the same yesterday, today, 
and tomorrow. Jude is calling the church to unity. In the midst of waves of division, Jude is calling the church to unity in the unchanging faith, once and for all delivered to the saints. That same gospel message that we heard back in verse 3 of this letter. And did you notice there in verse 19 that these people cause divisions? See, truth doesn't divide. False teaching divides. Sound doctrine unites. Unsound doctrine divides. So show me a healthy church and I'll show you a church that is unified under the gospel and the faithful teaching contained in the word of God. Show me a healthy church and I'll show you a church that is pursuing unity in the bond of peace. Pursuing unity in and through Christ. But Jude doesn't stop there. He presses on and like a a commander writing to a distant unit in the midst of wartime, he exhorts the church to persevere. And this leads us to point two, kept to persevere. And this will be the longest point this morning. So look with me there at verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Church, we are kept to persevere. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he says this, he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it to the end. Amen? Beloved, what God starts, he completes. And we can take that biblical truth to the finish line of heaven. And we need to grab a hold of this. God's preservation of us enables our perseverance. We persevere in the faith as we are preserved by the author of faith. We are kept to persevere in Christ. One of the brothers here at EBC told me about how he remembers his mom and his grandmother preserving fruits and pickling vegetables in glass jars as he was growing up. See, in order for the fruit and the vegetables to persevere, they must be properly preserved. This is a great picture of what it looks like to be in Christ and to persevere in him. Well, well, now I'm hungry. But what does it look like, beloved church, to persevere? Street level. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, Jude tells us to pursue and do with the Lord's help six things. Six things by his abundant grace. We build. We pray. We keep. We wait. We show mercy. And we save. We build, we pray, we keep, we wait, we show mercy, 
and we save. So first, we build. We see this in Jude verse 20. Jude, the architect, exhorts the church to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Or according to the cowboy translation, y'all build y'all up in the most holy faith. And the most holy faith is the gospel. The same gospel mentioned back in verse 3 of the letter. This is one of the ways that we persevere. We build ourselves up in the faith. So how do we build ourselves up? Well, Jude is writing to the church. So we build ourselves up and one another up through the spiritual disciplines or the means of grace. Just as the human body is built up and sustained by a healthy and good diet, we are preserved and persevered day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year on a diet of Scripture. Prayer and gathering together, these are the means of grace that help us persevere. And this is why we gather week after week for worship, to help one another persevere. This is why we have equipping classes. This is why we have a Saturday morning study for men. This is why we have weekly gatherings of of women, gathering to study the word. This is why we have care groups here at EBC. If you're not a part of one, join one and get to building. See, according to, Christ, according to Jude, the Christian life is a spiritual construction site. And it requires the whole team of builders building under the master builder who is Christ. And this needs to be abundantly clear. We don't do this alone. We cannot do this in isolation. We need the whole church. So as Christians... Here at EBC, we have to be in the business of building. So so take inventory. How are you building up the body here at EBC? Look back at the conversations, the emails, the phone calls, the text messages, the social media interactions from this past season. Are you constructing or are you deconstructing? Is your life characterized by Jude 20 or is it characterized by Jude 16? What would the people in your life say about you? Take inventory. Beloved, it takes the whole church to build up the church. So how are you building up the body here? Well, first we build. And second, we pray. We pray in the spirit, as it says in verse 20. This is one way we build ourselves up and keep ourselves in the love of God. It's through prayer. I don't believe that Jude is talking about praying in tongues here, some chaotic, unintelligible dialect. I believe he's mirroring Paul's words in Ephesians 6. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So what does your prayer life look like? Let me encourage you. One of the best ways that we can care for one another is to pray 
for one another. So when the new EBC membership directory comes out here in the next month or two, pick it up and pray through a handful of names and faces daily. Pray in the Spirit that the Spirit would further conform our church to the image of Christ, not just as individual Christians, but as a body here in this region. So we build, we pray, and third, we keep. Jude tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God. The false teachers and their followers that had risen up in the church weren't keeping themselves in the love of God, but instead threw off God's love and authority, following their own ungodly passions, as it says there in verse 17. And so, in contrast, Jude is calling the church to keep themselves in the sphere of God's love. And you may be thinking, wait, wait, Jude said that God's beloved are kept back in verse 1. This sounds like law, not grace. What do you mean I keep myself? Great question. Well, this imperative in verse 21 is the hub of this section. The way the Greek works here in this part of the letter is critical. Keep is the main verb. It is the center of the wheel and the building, the praying, the waiting, the keeping, the saving, the showing mercy are the spokes that are connected to it. And this isn't isn't the first time that we see this imperative in Scripture It's all over the place. In the Old Testament, we see this in Proverbs 4, verse 23. This is what it says. Keep your heart for everything you do flows from it. The Puritan John Flavel, my favorite of all the Puritans, whose Spurgeon is to Pastor Jeff, John Flavel is to me. In his work, Keeping the Heart, says this. The heart of man is his worst part before it is regenerated and the best afterward. It is the seed of principles and the foundation of actions. The eye of God is and the eye of the Christian ought to be principally fixed upon it. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. And the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. Do you want to prove that your heart is regenerated? Persevere in the faith. Keep yourself with God and in the love of God. Jesus said, I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will keep in my love. Beloved, do you wish to keep yourself in the love of God? Then press into his word. Press in to his gospel and press into his people here at EBC. Let, let me be clear the duty is ours, but the power is fully of God. And ultimately, our insufficiency to do this ought to lead us to the all sufficient one who preserves his people until the end. And may we, like Paul, say, on that last day when we cross the finish line into heaven. May we say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept 
the faith. Beloved, we keep ourselves as we are kept by and for Christ, as we wait for his return. And until then, we build, we pray, we keep, and forth, we wait. We wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, as it says there in verse 21. Waiting, beloved, is the posture of the Christian life. It is central to persevering in the faith. The saints of old were waiting for Christ's first coming. The saints now wait for his second coming. We wait for the one Christ who is mercy embodied. For the last handful of years down in Portland, I had the opportunity to minister to a small group of saints at a a convalescent home, a rest home near our home in southeast Portland. And we would gather week after week around the word to sing hymns and to encourage one another. But there was always this one woman, one woman who would tell me each week, Chris, I'm hurting. And I'm waiting. But I have learned that gratitude is the best attitude as I wait. She encouraged me week after week of what it is to wait well in this Christian life. And so check in with one another. Check in with with the saints who are homebound, who can't gather with the church because of illness or some other struggle. Ask questions. How are you doing physically? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing spiritually? Help one another wait upon the Lord as we persevere together by his strength. And when we ask, where are we going? Are we there yet? And when are we going to get there? May we turn to one another and turn to the word and be reminded to persevere. While we do this, we, we build and we pray and we wait. We keep as we just saw. And fifth, we show mercy. We show or have mercy on those who doubt, as it says in verse 22. Jesus had warned the church about those who have crept into the church, those who were perverting the gospel. He has warned the church about those who are causing division, following their own ungodly passions, those who are not God-controlled, but flesh-controlled. And in verse 19, he says that they are without the Spirit. These these aren't believers in Christ. These are unbelievers who have rejected Christ. In other words, these are not doubters, brothers and sisters. These are rejectors. And Jude is going to round this point out here later in the letter. But he is reminding the church here that, that there is a difference between doubt and rejection. Before Christ ascended, he invited Thomas, the doubter, to come and see and touch himself as the risen Christ. Beloved, may we as the body of Christ here at EBC look at those who are doubting and invite them to come and see and touch the risen Christ. 
as we persevere together. So what is your posture toward those who are doubting? Those with questions? Those who are looking for a response? We who have been shown extravagant mercy ought to show mercy. So how do we persevere in the faith? We build, we pray, we keep, we wait, we show mercy. And sixth, and lastly, we save. We save others by snatching them out of the fire. Again, showing mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I was recently informed about the special forces of firefighting. These men and women called smoke jumpers. These folks are dropped in by parachute into hazardous and fiery situations with all the means, the tools, and the rations necessary to fight the fire, rescue those who are impacted by it, and sustain themselves. And here in verse 23, Jude gives us an evangelistic plea as he rounds out how we are to treat and engage those who are rejected, who have rejected Christ. He calls us to be smoke jumpers of the faith. And as we are preserved by Christ and persevere in the faith, we are to approach the flames of unbelief and rescue those who are erring from the fire. Jude is reminding us to be in the world, but not of it. To engage in the work of rescuing those who are physically and spiritually dying. Richard Baxter, the 17th century Puritan, said that he preached as a dying man to dying men and women. I'm a dying man, and you are all dying men and women. Death has a 100% success rate. And maybe you're here today, and you're caught in the flames of unbelief. Maybe you're here today, and you've grown up in the church. Or maybe you are new to the church. Maybe you have questions and are doubting. Maybe you hate God and you're here under compulsion. Oh, friend, you were made by God. And you were made for God and to worship Christ as Savior and Lord. And so here's the good news of rescue. Here is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came down to earth. He took on flesh, setting aside his splendor to enter this place. He lived a sinless life before God and man. And then he went to a cross where he was killed, where he bore the wrath of your sin and mine. And then three days later, he got up from the dead, so that all who repent of sin and turn to him, turn to Christ, would not be engulfed in the flames of unbelief, but have eternal life.
friend, turn to Christ. Turn to the one who is living water, the living water that extinguishes the fires of unbelief. But you, church, those who have turned to Christ, those who have turned to him in ongoing repentance and faith today, Let's heed the words of Jude together. God has given us all the means to not only live in the gospel, but to live out the gospel and call others to the gospel. He has given us his son. He has given us his word. He has given us our very lives. He has given us his church. Friends, you are all the redemptive means to God's redemptive ends. Do you believe that about yourself? incredible. It's incredible. And the Lord is the Lord over both the means and the ends, is he not? So let this be an encouragement to you that as long as there is breath, as long as your friends, family, and neighbors are breathing, there is time for you to be means to God's ends of rescue. When Jude presses on here in verse 23, we are to pursue unbelievers with mercy. Did you catch that mercy was stated twice in these verses? Redundancy is key here. Mercy is a central mark of the Christian life. And we do the work of evangelism mercifully, with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. So what is, what is Jude talking about here? What does he mean do the work with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. Well, fear and hating the garment, hating sin, go, go together. Jude is saying, snatch those who are perishing out of the flames, recognizing that you too were once perishing and in those flames. He is saying, go near the flame, dine with the lost, engage the lost. Be in the world, church, but do not be of it. Reach into the flames, but do not let those flames overcome you. Ultimately, he is telling the church, just as Paul does to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, watch your doctrine, watch your life. So, beloved, we build, we pray. We keep, we wait, we show mercy, we save, and we do all of this for our good, for the good of others, by God's grace, as we see the destined day of Christ's return arise as those who are kept for glory. And that leads us to conclude with point three, kept for glory, verses 24 to 25. Let's read those together, these familiar words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Have you ever safely stood on the edge of a canyon. 
a canyon like the Grand Canyon in Arizona or the Waimea Canyon in Kauai, Hawaii. It's breathtaking. And the longer you look, the bigger and more magnificent the canyon becomes as you're engulfed in its magnitude and its beauty. It's overwhelming. And that is what Jude wants us to do here as he brings his letter to a doxological close. He wants us to stand on the edge of eternity and peer into glory. He wants us to stop after all of the assurances, after all of the warnings, after all of the exhortations. He wants us to stop and dwell upon the glory of the Son of God. The saints of old called this vision of God, his presence, his glory, the beatific vision. The beatific vision is to see God not with the eyes of the body, but with the eyes of the soul. It's that vision that the hymn writer spoke of when he, when he wrote, as we just sung earlier, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. It's the vision that Jesus himself spoke of in Matthew 5 when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God both now and in eternity. Pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards continually pled, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And ultimately, Jude wants us to stamp Christ on our eyeballs. Here, with the closing of this letter, he is stamping Christ on our eyeballs so that we would be fixed on him. And I don't know if you noticed, but Jude ends where he began. In verse 1, we read that the letter is addressed to those kept for and by Christ. And here in verses 24 to 25, Jude reminds us that it is Christ who keeps us unto glory. Jesus is the alpha and the omega of this letter. And because of him, on the final day, we will stand before God blameless with great joy as those kept for glory no longer stumbling, no longer weeping, no longer sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you may be asking the question, if Christ can keep us from stumbling, then why do we stumble? Well, beloved, though we live with the presence of sin today, its power has been broken. In and through Christ alone and his cross and his resurrection. And, and though we presently stumble, we will not eternally stumble. Here in these verses, Jude wants us, he wants to jog our minds. He wants us to know that though the church may hobble into heaven, we can rest in the truth that Christ will not leave us nor forsake us and he will keep us from stumbling 
eternally. Isn't that amazing? He, Jesus alone, is our assurance. He alone is our blessed hope. And we need to be reminded of this. This is why we hear this benediction week after week after week. Because we need to be reminded of this assurance in Christ week after week after week. Jeff gives this specific benediction because it's a reminder of what God has done and will continue to do. It's a reminder of his faithfulness. So, beloved, as we conclude the letter of Jude this morning, take heart and fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who is faithful, the one who will hold us fast into glory. Stand with confident faith in the truth that you are kept by Christ, kept for Christ, and kept for glory. And though today, as it's been said, faith can feel more like cataracts than clarity, know with assurance that one day faith will give way to eternal sight. And on that day, we will proclaim into eternity, brothers and sisters, the words of Jude 25. May they be on our tongue today, all of our days, and that day. All glory, majesty, dominion, and authority be to Christ before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the grace and mercy that you have so richly lavished upon your people in and through Christ. Continue to keep us, Lord. Preserve us, we pray. And give us perseverance until the day of Christ's return. We will give you all the glory, honor, and praise forevermore. It's in the name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen.